that's the thing about French food around Christmas is that there, there are some given, okay? It's gonna be luxurious. It's gonna be delicious. It's gonna be plentiful. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast is all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write and photograph it. Living in Australia for nearly 40 years, Christmas time for me was all about hot days, sun-drenched beaches, which was often full of uh, backpacking holidays, early morning trips to the seafood markets, driving to relatives' places to celebrate with them, and in later years, celebrations with friends that I formed as part of a new family. Now living in France, the weather is cold. There's the chance sometimes of snow, depending on where you might live, and Christmas markets are everywhere. And the councils, well, nearly in every town it seems to be that they spend a fortune on Christmas lights and decorations every year. But what about food traditions in France at Christmas time? How much champagne can you drink in one day? Do the French celebrate on Christmas Eve or is it Christmas Day? And what's the tradition of eating 13 desserts? I kid you not, it's apparently 13 desserts. Well, today's guest is going to fill us in on all things French food Christmas traditions. Camille Chevier-Capis, thanks for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you very much for having me, Andrew. I'm very, very happy to be here. Now, please just make sure, actually, we'll get this over from the start, actually. Um, did I pronounce your name correctly? Because my French pronunciations on everything are terribly Australian. No, no, no. It's very good. So my name is Camille, and you can call me Camille. <laughs> There's no problem. So Camille or Camille. And uh, Chevalier Carfis, if you want to be more French. But the way you, you said it was fabulous. Please do correct me as we go along. Listeners, as you will learn, Camille is one of the founders on uh, French Today. So we will talk a little bit more about that later, as well as French Christmas food traditions. But Camille, I wanted to talk about first, you were actually born and raised in Paris. Apart from food traditions at Christmas time, what do you remember most about Paris at Christmas when you were young? I remember something that you pointed out already, which is uh, the decoration. You know, the, the decoration everywhere. And uh, I remember the decoration being really pretty, uh, really um, classy, I would say. Uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, you probably have, but I don't know if your listeners have already seen pictures of Les Champs-Élysées decorated with the Christmas lights in the trees. It's really, really beautiful. And as a kid, it cannot have any other effect than making you dream, of course, about Christmas. Um, when I was younger, the decoration tend to be mostly lights and there were not that many, you know, big Santa Claus or like huge construction. It was a lot of uh, little, little lights and uh, also Christmas trees, of course, and Christmas uh, uh, branches like Christmas tree branches and things like that, so all very um, uh, subtle and uh, refined, and I really, really like that. Galleries like and uh, Pretemps are well known for their shop window displays at Christmas time. Has that always been the case? Were they always uh, putting on displays at Christmas in their shop windows? Absolutely, it's actually a Parisian tradition to go see the displays of what we call les grands magasins. Les grands magasins are actually all the names that you that you just cite, uh, that you just said right now. And uh, the display of these shops were 
absolutely amazing with uh, sometimes even, um, I'm not sure how you say that in English, uh, automated, uh, like a little, yes, automations and, and things like that. And uh, uh, Parisian families would often go and take their kids to see these shops, the, les, les vitrines, that's the window, les vitrines des grands magasins at Christmas time because they were ac- absolutely uh, exceptional as well as the huge Christmas tree, uh, which uh, which is in, um, which one is it? Is it uh, Galerie Lafayette or Printemps? Oui, voilà. I'm not sure which one it is, but it's really famous too. Uh, when I was younger, uh, it was not that common for every shop to have a Christmas decoration, okay? The local shops were, yeah, they, you know, they may put a little something, you know, change their window a little bit, but it's not the display that we have right now. And I don't remember ever hearing Christmas music in uh, shops. And it's still it's still something that we do in France, but uh, really not as much as in the US. There is a syndrome uh, for Japanese tourists that they come to France for the first time and they get overwhelmed by everything that is Paris because it is a very overwhelming place and there's a name for it. I can't think at the top of my head. As a child, is Paris an overwhelming experience when you're growing up in a city like Paris? So for me, not at all, because actually um, we don't grow up in Paris we grow up in our neighborhood and uh, our quartier. So it's called un quartier. And, you know, if I think about my uh, my experience growing up in Paris, actually, um, my parents had a countryside house, which is very bourgeois of them, <laughs> very, uh, you know, upper middle class. Uh, and uh, every weekend we would... Um, face the traffic jam to leave Paris on Friday night uh, under the beep beep of all the cars, including my dad's, <laughs> and then uh, spend the weekend in the countryside and come back on Sunday night as uh, late as possible as not to be stuck in the same traffic jam <laughs> coming back. <laughs> and so during the, the, the week, I would, you know, go to school. Pretty much, I was uh, lucky enough that I could walk to school. My school was half a, half an hour walk from my home, and then I would spend my day at school, come back for lunch, or sometimes I, I'd had, you know, later on I'd had lunch in a neighborhood coffee next to next to my school, um, and the school also offered a, an option. You could, of course, had lunch in the school, and then get back home. And then go in my room and <laughs> have dinner with my parents, maybe watch a little TV, then go in my room and the day would start again. And so I don't, I don't particularly went uh, to the Louvre every, every weekend or uh, go up the Eiffel Tower uh, three times a week. No, no, no. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Unless you live in the center of Paris in a very, very historical district. So maybe if you lived in the Marais and went to a school somewhere around there, yes, you would have a much more Parisian uprising. Maybe you will, you know, uh, maybe you will go 
more to do also the sales in the shops and so on. It, it, it has also to do with uh, the income of the family. If you lived in the Marais, you could afford Paris. <laughs> you know, I came from a family that could afford Paris, but not not to go to uh, uh, Le Bon Marché or things like that. I never went to the Bon Marché until I was uh, 35, you know. <laughs> Back to, to growing up in Paris as a kid, I think it's uh, it's uh, uh, it would m- actually make a good whole podcast episode, maybe, <laughs> because uh, the idea that tourists have of it is so different from the reality. Uh, as I said, I never experienced, you know, the sales in Paris. We didn't go. We, we we went to my countryside house, and we did not go and uh, do all this uh, sell stuff in Paris. We didn't go to the museum. My school would take me, but and my parents would always, always take me to museums when we were traveling. Um, my pa- my parents, and especially my dad, was uh, extremely into art. Uh, my mother had an antique shop for a while, so you know that they were educated and also very uh, artsy people. But in Paris, I don't remember ever going to a museum with my parents, which is crazy when you think about it. And uh, we would go to small little restaurants around our house. Again, I don't remember ever driving or taking the subway to go to a special fancy venue in Paris ever. and I actually discovered Paris when I was um, 16 year old. When I was 16 year old, I had my first uh, serious boyfriend. It actually lasted seven years, so it was quite serious. <laughs> and uh, um, Francois, how French, really? <laughs> Francois and I would actually love to uh, walk through Paris. Uh, we didn't have much money, so we could not, you know. Uh, go to a cinema or do go out, I would say really out, out uh, every weekend. And so what we did was that uh, we would simply, you know, uh, take the subway and go towards uh, the center of Paris. So Les Halles or someplace like that, find a very cheap, usually Chinese restaurant and eat for, you know, almost nothing with a, a pitcher of bad rosé wine or a beer. <laughs> and then we'll walk, we'll walk around. And often we would walk back to my home, which was in Neuilly-sur-Seine. So that's quite a walk. Uh, and get back home at six o'clock in the morning and have pretty much walked all evening. And that's how you know I really discovered Paris uh, was from uh, uh, 16 years old to when I left to the US when I was uh, 22, I believe, uh, by uh, walking all around Paris and stumbling about a monument and then reading about it or not, or reading about it much later <laughs> when I came back from the US. And uh, it's really when I came back from the U.S. that I started to visit Paris as a tourist would. And I still do. Each time I go to Paris, you know, I go to museums, I I go visit big monuments. I really 
uh, I am a tourist in Paris now because I have this tourist mind, you know. So you lived in the US for 15 years. Mm -hmm. What made you want to move to the US to live? Uh, well, still the same boyfriend that we talked about. <laughs> he uh, he went to study there, and uh, myself, I was a very bad student. Got a crappy degree in becoming a, an executive assistant. Hated my job, uh, and the only thing that I was passionate about were languages. I I spoke uh, English and Spanish. Uh, and well, passionate about no, I was not passionate about, but I liked it, <laughs> and I got decent grade, which was a first, you know. <laughs> and um, and yeah, so I really enjoyed meeting people, talking with people from different cultures, comparing club cultures, going into even philosophical conversation. And uh, don't get me started on food. I'm a big foodie. So, you know, just traveling around, meeting people, having people cook their uh, region specialty or their country specialty was always something that I enjoyed. And uh, so when Francois left to study in the US, I decided that uh, I didn't like my job. I didn't like France in particular. And I could just go there and and try to make a living for myself. How much of a culture shock was it to move to the US? <laughs> That's an excellent question. Um, <clears throat> I was extremely unprepared. <laughs> I had read absolutely nothing about the US or the American culture or uh, in my mind since uh, a lot of the, the Europe, the um, uh, American people came from Europe. I just expected it to be another European culture. You know, uh, I think that if I have, if I had gone to a place where uh, I knew the culture was going to be very different and so on, I would have prepared. Like if I ever get the uh, the chance to uh, visit uh, China, and I really intend to. I would definitely read up on the culture to not make faux pas and to be polite and to. Um, so when I arrived in the States, everything looked pretty much as it does in France. You know, I mean, a little bit uh, younger, not as many monuments and things like that, but a, a modern, the you know, the modern neighborhood of France, the 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 modern cities like usually outside the city center, uh, the modern cities of France are not that different than what you can find in the U.S. Uh, furthermore, I was in Boston, which is really historical. So, you know, I didn't feel, I mean, Boston is, is really a beautiful, beautiful city. We have so much history there that it really didn't feel all that different. Um, what was different was the interaction with the people, though. Um, and the food, the food was different too. Uh, further, like the first thing that strikes you as a French person going to the US is just the sheer quantity of it. <laughs> uh, and it's a problem because at the beginning, you know, you eat half of your plate. And after 10 years, you eat all of your plate and you take a starter. <laughs> because it's Christmas time, what did you think of the US Christmas traditions compared to what you knew from France? 
So I love, I love, love, love Christmas in the U.S. Uh, uh, oh yeah, I love the Christmas spirit. I love la 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 everywhere in all the stores. Uh, I love that all the shiny decoration that you find everywhere. I love that everybody calls you sweetie and sweetheart and wishes you happy holidays two months in advance. Uh, I I'm really into the Christmas spirit and. I will add that I was lucky to go to New York for Christmas for a couple of times uh, because my um, my sister, who is French, would go there for work and kindly I was her first I was her plus one, you know, uh, for her work big meeting Christmas party, and oh my gosh, I absolutely adored uh, New York in Christmas time. Um, so, yeah, I, I love this Christmas ambience and the fact that everything, everything is decorated and, and the music, the music. I know that so many people get annoyed by it and say, you know, I don't want to hear another Christmas song or carol and so on, but I love it. So did you know, talking about traditions, uh, we don't have this tradition of caroling in France. Really? No, we don't. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Okay. So there are some Christmas songs, but there's not the tradition of caroling. And because of that, we have much, much fewer Christmas albums than you do in the English culture. I mean, in the English culture, any singer who's anybody has released a Christmas carol. And... Uh, uh, I was uh, watching uh, Saturday Night Live the, the the other day, watching it in a replay, and uh, they were, I don't know, dissing, I don't remember uh, whom, on recording a song with Elton John for a Christmas special album, and they were saying, yeah, who hasn't, you know? <laughs> when in France, of course, we do have some Christmas albums as well, you know, but not not as many as you do, and so... When you go in the shops in France, a lot of the Christmas songs that you hear are actually English Christmas songs. So, of course, you know, we, I'm not saying that we don't have, because I can hear your, your Francophile listeners going, and what about Petit Papa Noël, alors? Huh? <laughs> what about so, Johnny yes. Halliday's greatest Christmas <laughs> hits? You know, exactly. You know, actually, you have there probably all isn't okay. a great a Jolly Halliday Christmas hits. I'm sure oh, there probably maybe. isn't. There, I don't know. You think there, there might be? Oh well, Johnny, I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his son, his son could come out with one. Oh yes, it's yes. much more the type of David uh, of uh, David Halliday than than Johnny. <laughs> French Today is your company that teaches people French. With so many people wanting to learn French around the world, why do you think that France and learning French is so popular? I think people have always learned French. Uh, I don't know really why, but for such a small country, uh, France has always been associated with, uh, you know, education and class and uh, uh, history and so um, it's amazing because actually wherever you travel in the world you will find somebody who speaks French and in so many culture uh, speaking French was you know the kind of thing that you did you learn how to play the piano you learn how to bake macaron 
I'm exaggerating with this one because that's super difficult, actually. And you learned how to uh, speak French. You know, it was, you know how to ride a horse, how to ride a bike, you know how to swim, you know how to speak French. <laughs> but uh, nowadays, the problem is that uh, this way of teaching French is the teaching, you know, French for reading, reading French for literature and so on, has been the way that French has been taught for many centuries abroad and still is in most, you know, major structure and with most major method. What they will do is that they will totally concentrate on how to write French properly and on the endings and doing... Uh, the agreement in passé composé and all these kind of things. And uh, I am always shocked to see that in uh, many traditional books, uh, the tenses of the past are on page, maybe not page, but chapter three. The subjunctive is on chapter five. And it's, if you ask me, it's ridiculous because nowadays people, most people want to learn French to travel to experience the French language, to be able to understand, uh, maybe not understand all of a French movie, but, you know, grasp some words. Um, they want to learn French because they have French friends or French family. And the way they learn French in school is not the way we speak French in France. There's a huge, huge gap. So, that's what I do at French Today. I was actually one of the pioneers to really, you know, um, do you say blow the horn <laughs> on, the, on the fact that watch out, people. If you want to learn French, to speak French, to communicate in France, you need to learn French with audio first, and you need to learn French with audio that. Uh, shows the way we actually speak French in France and not the ideal of this very fancy, very uh, uh, educated, uh, very luxurious, beautiful, poetical French language that French is as well. I'm not saying that that's not French. It's, it's just another face of the French language. If you were going to learn English at school, you don't learn English the way that Shakespeare wrote it. That's exactly it. You, I couldn't have said it better. That's exactly it. You, you need to learn it to speak, otherwise we would all be sounding, sounding terribly silly walking around speaking like Shakespeare. And that's the problem. Tourists that come to France nowadays sound like Shakespeare in French. They really do. Uh, I still hear... People use, for example, puis-je for may I. Puis-je is extremely formal. It's, I'm not saying that nobody says it. Some people still use it. You know, if you are uh, probably a little bit older, very upper class, and you fancy yourself as using a fancy language, uh, puis-je is perfectly acceptable. But it's not what most people would say most of the time. And it may even sound a little bit snobbish, you know. It's, it's just most of people would say, uh, pourrais-je, if you're being very polite again, 
or est-ce que je pourrais, est-ce que je pourrais, with, because the way we pronounce French changes. Uh, so, est-ce que je pourrais, est-ce que je peux, or, or even je peux, je peux, uh, if I'm talking to my husband and I want to ask if I can have a glass of water, for example, I would say, je peux, je peux avoir un verre d'eau? Je peux avoir un verre d'eau? S'il te plaît? So, je peux avoir un verre d'eau, s'il te plaît? It's quite different from, puis-je avoir un verre d'eau, je vous en prie? Okay? Uh, not only the vocabulary changes, but also, s'il te plaît, is not, s'il te plaît. So, that's what we do uh, at French Today. We record everything at, it's not really different speeds, it's different level of elocution, okay, of enunciation. So, we, it's like saying, you know, uh, he is versus his, you know, uh, he's going to versus he is going to. Imagine And you'll hear it. French people that go to the States often learn to the same thing. They over-enunciate everything. They say, he is going to the supermarket. When you would say, he's going to the supermarket. You know, so, but in France, in French, excuse me, um, this change between the formal way we speak, very, very formal, or even the way we would read or even I want to say read poetry, really, by, you know, over-enunciating every single thing. And the way we speak French in everyday French is drastically different, much, much more different than uh, the uh, difference in English between written English and spoken English. Ho, 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 you're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then there are many ways you can do this. The first, and by far possibly the most important, is to follow wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, leave a review and a rating. A five-star rating would be fabulous. Merci beaucoup. Financially, you can support Fabulously Delicious by becoming a Patreon. For as little as the price of a cup of coffee a month, you can become a Patreon member and ex receive exclusive content just for you. And at the same time, support the making of Fabulously Delicious. Thanks for listening. And now let's get back to the Christmas spirit and our chat with Camille and discuss all things Christmas food traditions here in France, of course. On to our topic today, French food Christmas traditions. My first question is, when do the French actually celebrate Christmas? Is it dinner, lunch? Because in Australia, we have Christmas lunch, usually on Christmas Day, and that'll be with one family. And then sometimes you have to get in the car and drive to the next family for Christmas Day dinner. Or if you've eaten too much, you do that the following day on Boxing Day for lunch again. But when do the French celebrate dinner or lunch? So it's uh, tricky for France as well. Okay. Usually no Boxing Day. We actually don't have uh, this concept in France uh, yet. I mean, with, with the sales going more and more international, the, the concept of Boxing Day sale may, may arrive in France. But uh, I don't know that families would, you know, get together on the day after the day of Christmas to, because they, I mean, of course, 
after everybody does whatever they want or whatever they can, you know, but let's say that it's not a tradition. Um, in France, uh, we celebrate, well, one or the other or both, is to say, either uh, the day before Christmas going into Christmas, so uh, to be there at uh, uh, midnight, pretty much. We People who say, okay, midnight is the important time at Christmas, and they will base their dinner around that. Um, this used to be the case in particular for uh, religious people who would uh, go to Christmas uh, math, mass, sorry, <laughs> that used to be, uh, th- that would to used to end uh, at midnight. So the mass will start at 10 and then you know, 10 or 11, well, I, I don't know really, and end at midnight. And then they will have sometimes something to eat after the mass. So, Depending on what was convenient and what the belief were and what, you know, they would eat before or after. And then uh, sometimes that meal could be rather simple, actually, because it's all about uh, for people who are very, you know, uh, believers. uh, It's all about the birth of Christ and he was born in... in, uh, um, I can't find the English word. It was poor. I mean, it was uh, <laughs> it was a poor environment. Uh, and then the the more crazy meal would come the day after. Actually, so the the, the on Christmas Day, often at meal time, often with the tradition of opening the tra- the presents with the kids. You know. Uh, we have the same tradition, of course, of Santa coming during the night and putting the presents, and and so the kids discovering them when they when they wake up in the morning and so on. So it's uh, it can also be the same tradition, although Santa in France uh, leaves the gift not on socks but on shoes. <laughs> But nobody does that anymore. I, I can't even remember if when I was young, if we used to put our shoes by the chimney. Uh, first of all, in Paris, you know, not that many people have chimneys anymore. So that's another problem. <laughs> I couldn't leave the shoes there like that because then the dog would get them. <laughs> right, because the socks are better. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is uh, Le Revelon? Uh, how do you pronounce let me, this? Let me correct you if I if I may. Oui, okay. Just, it's, you're almost there. First of all, good job on your R. Your R sound. Oh, no, my R's are terrible. No, they're not. No, no. <laughs> so, le réveillon. Le réveillon. Yes, that's oh, perfect. You. you sounded perfectly French, Andrew. So, le réveillon. Le réveillon uh, has to do with uh, the... Uh, the etymology of the world of the word is réveiller, which has to do with wake up, okay, or staying awake. Actually, so a lot of uh, people understand se réveiller as in to wake up, you know. But réveillon might also, I imagine, that's me imagining here. I'm not sure, you know, but it's not too far fetched to think that it's came from the idea of staying awake for 
still always the same midnight mass and the food that was served somewhere around that mass, either before or after or, you know. And so Le Réveillon is how we call the big evening or day or whatever. It's the meal, really. The Réveillon is the name of the meal. And it's a word that we use as well for New Year's Eve. So here you go. You learn one word and it use, and you can use it for two occasions in French. <laughs> so this big dinner then, this Réveillon, um, uh, how many dishes would there usually be? Well, that, it really, really depends. Yes, it, it really depends, Andrew. And that's the thing about French food around Christmas is that there, there are some given, okay? It's going to be luxurious. It's going to be delicious. It's going to be plentiful. Uh, French people tend to really break their piggy bank for the Christmas dinner. And it's really a pleasure to, you know, treat your friends or family to some uh, scrumptious meal and uh, food delicacy and, and so on. Uh, but not everybody does it the same way. <laughs> so there will be probably some champagne, that's for sure. I mean, not sure, it's never sure, you know, but there will be some champagne for people who love champagne. There will be some good wine for people who prefer, you know, a, a good red wine or something like that. There might be some smoked salmon. There might be some oysters. We, we like seafood and they're bountiful in, uh, in France since we have so many seas around us. Um, there might be some smoked ham. Uh, a big, the whole big smoked ham. Uh, they may even be a turkey or a, a, a capon, capon, which is um, chapin, I believe. Oui, capon, oui, oui. I, voilà. I think you were right. The capon was the right way, yes. yes. And uh, we usually stuff uh, turkey or capon uh, with uh, actually a veal and parsley and chestnut. That's the traditional uh, stuffing for it. But we have, of course, all the kind of stuffing that you can imagine. Uh, and there can be some game meat. And, of course, it's likely that there will be some foie gras. The foie gras display at Christmas time in supermarkets is just crazy. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. <laughs> I think it comes from Provence, uh, so I'm not sure if everybody does it or not. Something about 13 desserts? Is this right? Surely so 13, not. Yeah, no, no, you, you have it right, Andrew. Well researched, yes. How do you so eat a big Christmas dessert. dinner? How do you eat a big Christmas dinner and then have 13 desserts? Because the desserts are very small. So in I will not be able to tell you all the 13 desserts, but... It's more 13 offering of different items of food. So it will include uh, probably uh, some uh, oranges, some type of oranges or, you know, um, I don't know how you call them in, in English, actually, uh, clementines and, you know, and things like that. Mandarins, which, uh, which, were, which were quite... Uh, Exotic at one point, um, there may be some uh, chocolate truffle, there may be some kind of nuts, 
maybe some figs or, you know, I'm trying to imagine at the same time what they could be serving in Provence that they could still get their hands to at Christmas time. And I'm thinking, yeah, the figs maybe. And so they're not like, they're not bringing out 13 huge chocolate cakes. Okay. <laughs> it's rather a small little portion of little delicacies. Um, now, I personally never had the 13 uh, desserts, les 13 desserts, uh, because I'm not from Provence and my family is not from there. Um, some other parts of France have their own tradition. So, for example, uh, in uh, Alsace, which is closer to Germany, they have bredele, which are, I love them, they are usually... Uh, either cinnamon biscuits, well, they're all a collection of little biscuits, uh, cinnamon or almond or uh, chocolate or and shaped uh, as a star or as a Santa Claus or rather San Nicolas <laughs> over there. And uh, yeah, so there are many different specific traditions for different regions of France. But otherwise, the common, I would say, as, as you've understood, at Christmas time, we have many, many different beautiful and delicious food, but there's not really one uh, uh, savory dish that is, you know, that it Christmas means that. That dish is exactly synonym of Christmas as a savory dish. But there is something in uh, sweet. And do you know what it is? Oh, would this be the bûche Noël? Oui, la bûche de Noël. La bûche de Noël. And you have to push. So this is a sound that's very, very difficult for English speakers. So I, I apologize in advance to, to uh, you know, be nitpicking on this little sound. But it, it, it may be helpful for some people that hear you and want to better their French. Uh, I have a little trick to give you for this U sound, okay? Uh, lots of uh, English speakers have a problem between U and U, okay? So, first of all, let's do a little test. Would you mind saying after me TU? TU. And VOUS. VOUS. So, those are two words that you pronounce perfectly, Andrew. And many, many English uh, speakers actually manage a tu because they've used it so much and also because the combination of the T and the U sound, it, it goes well together. I'll tell you why. I'm not going to go too much into details. But So my suggestion is whenever you have to use a word with a French U in it, a U, okay, Use you two as a tuning fork. Okay? Say it a couple of times out loud. Tu, 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 tu. Then separate the U. Tu, 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 U, 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 U. And then you can say bu. Bu. And then you can say bush. Bush. That's it. You have it. It's oh. as simple as that. <laughs> Fabulous. <laughs> La bûche de Noël is the traditional, really, really... Um, you cannot not have a bûche de Noël. <clears throat> you will either have the traditional cake, which is a 
you call it a Yule log, I believe. Okay. Um, which is, I mean, at the end of a big meal, <laughs> it involves a lot of cream and it can be a little bit much for me personally, you know, creme au beurre at the end of uh, a full Christmas meal. <laughs> no, thank you. So very, uh, right now, a very popular version of it would be a nice, uh, a, a, it's actually a nice cream or even a, a nice sherbet in the shape of a bûche de Noël. And that still works. <laughs> What's an advent calendar? Or should I say a chocolate, <laughs> yes. a chocolate advent calendar? What yes. is this? So, so it's called le calendrier de l'avant. L'avant. L'avant, which sounds exactly like before. And it's actually, it's not spelled the same way, but it's the same meaning. It's before Christmas. And uh, it's actually a great tool to learn, to teach kids to be patient. So uh, you have a, it used to be a wooden, it, it used to be made of wood. Now you will find them mostly made of uh, cardboard papers. And uh, you will have uh, from 1 to 24, or is it 25th? actually since it's christmas day i'm not sure i think maybe 20 25 members so one to 25 and behind each number there's a little door there's a little hidden door where there will be a little treat or maybe a little candy or maybe a teeny little toy or something like that and of course a bigger a bigger candy on christmas uh, day <laughs> and so kids we learn to, they know there are candies, but it's all about uh, delayed satisfaction, <laughs> you know. <laughs> if a family is putting on Christmas dinner, in Australia, sometimes everybody will bring something because it's such a large meal. Mm -hmm. Is that the same in France does, or does the person hosting it put on everything? Difficult to speak for the whole country again. I'm only but one person. Uh, but in my family, no, that people did not bring anything. Uh, and I don't think it's, it's not really in the purest French tradition to have a potluck or things like that. Uh, in Australia, people in neighborhoods get into competitions with each other over decorating their houses with lights and things like that. Do they do that here in France? It's starting. It is starting. Um, it's, uh, when I was, uh, younger again, uh, I can't remember people decorating their house much, uh, where I lived in Paris or around Paris. Now, again, different regions of France and different traditions. I know that in Germany, being closer to German culture where Christmas is so important, yes, there was much, much more decorating. Okay. But nowadays, um, people are decorating their house much more, uh, and I have a simple reason for that, just because all these electrical garlands and so on, they've become so cheap. You can, you can buy them everywhere around Christmas time, and, and it's pretty. People like it, you know, why not? Uh, so we do tend to have the same, I mean, not the same, it's, it's, I have not seen it in the countryside in the extent, in France, in the extent that I've seen it in the countryside in the US, 
where, as you said, I suppose that in Australia, it's the same thing. I'm, I'm not very familiar with Australia, unfortunately. I went once and I intend to come back. You, know? you should. Well, that's terribly <laughs> far to go. But yes, one of the things that I've noticed here that is different to Australia for sure is the amount of effort the councils put into decorating at Christmas time. In fact, throughout the year, even in small, little, small hamlets, there will be lights in the street for Christmas time um, and trees uh, hanging off buildings and things like this. It's a big thing for the councils to really get into Christmas, isn't it? Absolutely. And it's, it's again, it is something that has changed uh, over the, 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 the last, um, I would say, since I left from to, to, the, to the US. So I'd say that in the last probably 30 years, um, again, electric, electrical lights must have come cheaper <laughs> because they are much, much more present that, than I remember than when I was younger. And but otherwise, yes, Christmas tree, yes, always. And also something that has changed in France in the last 30 years is the amount of flowers. I mean, uh, as you said, councils have been really decorating all the roundabouts. And each time there's a little part where a flower can be planted. It seems that either a French person would, you know, neighbor, friendly neighbor will uh, bring it upon themselves to plant a little something there or the city would do it, which is fantastic because we have huge displays of flowers now in France, uh, flowers that uh, perennials that come back every year. And they even do something which I absolutely love is that uh, they saw uh, wild flowers on, you know, parts that are close to the highway, for example. And it's not really something that needs any maintenance or anything. They just saw seeds there and poof, they just, they, 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 they just flower and, and the seeds just go everywhere. And so it, it brings more flowers to our countryside and more bees. Hey, that's good. <laughs> that is very good. Well, this has been fabulous talking all things French food traditions. But finally, my last question to you is something that I ask everyone. That is, what to you is the most fabulous thing about France? Ooh. <laughs> um, I would say it's the, the, the amount of difference that we have in such a small country, meaning that within two hours you can change region and uh, not only would the food change but the landscape will change but uh, the fauna and the flora will change and the architecture will change which which I mean architecture is is huge it has a huge visual impact for traveling from region to region and I think that France is absolutely amazing for that because we have so many different architecture and, well, I'm not going to repeat the list, that you can really, within a very small country, experience like 10 different countries. 
Camille, it's been a pleasure talking to you on Fabulously Delicious today. I hope that you and your family have a wonderful Christmas and uh, wish you all the best for next year and I hope you have a, a, a joyous celebration where, however and wherever you are doing it this year. Merci beaucoup for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Well, thank you again so much for the invitation and I wish you and your family exactly the same. Have a wonderful holiday season and to all our listeners, the same thing. Have a wonderful holiday. Really enjoy today was a this year was a difficult year for many, many people. They are in our heart. We're thinking of them and let's hope that next year. Well, let's be optimistic. It can only get better, right? <laughs> oui. Merci, Camille. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.